This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Have you ever noticed how different people have markedly different outlooks on life? Some are incredibly focused and goal-oriented and motivated about their life mission, while others take things more casually. Some see a glass as half full, while others see the same glass as half empty. Some people are adventurous by nature and willing to take risks, while others are gun-shy due to fear of failure. Some center their lives around serving others, while others focus on themselves. And Some choose to be experts in a particular area, while others chart a more diverse and varied course. Some approach change as an opportunity, and others react apprehensively or fearfully. Your philosophical approach to life is going to have a major impact on who you become and who you already are. It's going to guide your interests and pursuits and the diversity of richness of your experiences and how you define success and ultimately the legacy you will leave. But at some point, if you're like pretty much everybody else, you're going to look back and you're going to think to yourself, boy... I wish I would have known whatever it is when I was 18 years old. Boy, I might have done things a lot differently if I would have known that. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in this part of today's show, with a special focus on giving kids some of that information that they're going to need to know when they're 18 that they might not otherwise have learned until they were your age. We'll jump into all that and a lot more when Positive Parenting continues right after this. Most of my family, they never graduated high school, so I'm trying to break that barrier. My daughter, Brooklyn, was also a motivation for me to go back to school. Every day after work, went straight to school, and it paid off. At age 26, Kareem finished his high school diploma. I could not have done it alone. I see the future is really bright for me. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Dennis Trittine, who's the author of What I Wish I Knew at 18, Life Lessons for the Road Ahead. Dennis, thanks for joining us. Well, you bet, Armin. It's great to be with you. Well, let's talk about what you wish you would have known at 18, that you, as a, as a wise man, now know. Well, back when I was was younger, I was the only person in my family who went to college. So I basically had to learn everything on my own. And I grew up in a small town and I knew everyone, everyone knew me. And then suddenly I'm in a sea of strangers at a university with 12,000 students. And I thought I was fully prepared for that transition into college and beyond. But what I found was, uh, you know, there were many things socially and academically that I was not prepared for. And dealing with a much more competitive environment, dealing with how you make new friends when, you know, basically you're starting from scratch again, you get homesick, there are all kinds of different dynamics that are happening. And the inspiration for what I wish I knew at 18 was when my son was in that same situation as a father wanting to give him 
better upfront preparation than I certainly was able to receive. And, um, you know, and it's, <laughs> but I'll tell you, there were, there were so many things that, uh, that I had to learn the hard way. And, yeah. um, and now what we're doing is trying to give the, the younger generation, um, sure. a better head start. You know, I, I, there, there's so much great stuff in here. We're going to talk about a lot of it, but I, I wonder as I'm looking back at, you know, my own kids who are, a couple of them are in their twenties and, and thinking, you know, when I was a teenager, if somebody would have sat me down and filled, <laughs> tried to give me all sorts of wisdom, I think I would have just said, oh, cut it out. Just leave me alone. I mean, it's kind of, you know, how, how receptive are teenagers and young adults going to be to stuff? And how much of the things that you wish you would know, have known at 18, that all of us wish we would have known at younger ages, could we have actually learned then as opposed to had to learn it over the course of years of experience? Because that's well, where it's going to come from, huge. right? Exactly. Your point is huge because at that time, we feel we know a lot. We get good grades, everyone tells us. <laughs> you know, we're, we're on the right path, and so we just assume that. But what we don't know is what we don't know. And that, I think, is the key message that I try to impart to, you know, to teenagers and young adults is that those of us who um, have um, decades ahead of them can look back with, with wisdom and, and clarity and, and give them the wisdom to give them that head start. But a lot of it is how we, how we talk to our kids. If it comes across like a lecture, they're going to tune out. If it comes across as a coach, that's a different story. And that's why the style of what I wish I knew at 18 is written as an encouraging coach. Oh, okay. Well, that's exactly exactly the right answer then. All right. So let's talk about, just kind of go through some of the chapters. Perspective on life. What do you what do you mean by that? I mean, obviously, you know, you're going to want to look back and, and think, well, this is truly, in the grand scheme of things, was not the most important thing in the world. Um, but what, what other kinds of, of life perspectives are you talking about? You bet. Well, we think that a, a healthy life begins with having a healthy perspective about our life. And that means being purposeful about ourselves, thinking that we are here um, with skills and passions and, and value to offer the world around us and helping us discover what those, um, those types of skills are, what our passions are, uh, what the opportunities are. It's, it's huge. And, and so we talk about that. We talk about how do you define success in life? Um, obviously, our, our culture is focused on you know, fame and fortune and power and things like this, but, but we all know that it goes far beyond that. So in our Chapter 1 with life perspective as our focus, we, we give our, our teenagers a perspective about how to live a successful life holistically and how do we not only benefit from a great career, but how do we develop strong relationships? How do we have a positive attitude about our life and focus on others, not just ourselves? And so those are the types of things that, that we think have to be right in order for um, a young person truly to be successful in life. Well, one of those items is be proactively nice. And explain that a little bit. I mean, it, it seems like it's a, a logical enough thing. You know, you ought to be nice to everybody. But proactively nice seems to be taking it to a whole other level. It is. And it's, and it's really using every opportunity during the course of the day um, to be a blessing to someone. And 
I have found um, some of the strongest relationship starters with people is to go out of our way um, to offer kindness, offer compassion, offer some lightheartedness where that's needed. But what, what I find is that in many areas, including restaurants, for example, where you'll have servers who are, are just going through a tough day, you can, you can tell that. If, if you go out of your way to welcome them as they welcome you, it is shocking to see the response. You will get better service from someone where you go out of your way to express kindness and invest in them. And so that's what we talk about, taking a proactive opportunity to look around during the course of the day and see where you can make someone else's day um, that much brighter. And so a response might be, well, I'm just not feeling like it. And, you know, this is a server. What do we need to be nice to them for? That's their job is to be nice to us and to bring us stuff when we ask for it. Well, it is amazing the countenance in your server when you say something out of, go out of the way and say something kind to them. It's not only for you to benefit from, clearly. You're there to to serve them and, and make their day a little bit brighter. But I guarantee the nicer we are to other people, the nicer they will be to us in return. So it's a win-win. Oh, yeah. Well, and I also think at some point, I'm not sure how this fits into the whole I wish I would have known at 18 thing, but, you know, there's nothing like spending a little bit of time as a server or doing something that some people consider menial to understand how bad it feels to be treated badly. Absolutely. And usually when I go out of my way, let's say to a server, first of all, there is a shock uh, expression on their face. And they will always say, thank you for saying that or thank you for asking. It is, it's amazing. And you get better service without question. And I think that applies not just in a restaurant, but really throughout all of the aspects of life. Well, let's talk about character. And those are such a it's it's a large term it's kind of an amorphous term um what what are the main components of character as you see it you bet well this is is such an important um topic and when you talk with employers who are receiving the younger generation uh, into their businesses uh character strengths are probably the things that they often find lacking or soft skills so and, and when we talk about character we talk about um, living with integrity, being someone that can be trusted. We talk about how you may not always be loved or liked in life, but you must always be trusted. Uh, you must be someone that can be depended upon, someone that has um, um, a positive attitude, surrounds themselves with positive influences, and, uh, and also a person who, who handles challenges in a constructive way. Uh, one of the one of the pointers that we have in our book is strive to be an agreeable disagreeer. And what we mean by that is we're not always going to agree with people, but there are ways that we can conduct ourselves and learn from their perspectives in a way that's constructive. So uh, we just feel that, that from a, the standpoint of being a respected person in life and a successful person, it begins with being a person with integrity. One of the biggest challenges that we give when we give talks to schools to students is to not say anything negative about someone else who is not present. 
Try it for a day, then try it for the next day, try it for a week. You will change the world if we all started being neutral or positive toward other people, especially when they are not present and can defend themselves. And that's just an example of, of one of the character traits that, that, that we feel so strongly about in our book. I'm talking with Dennis Trittine, who's the author of What I Wish I Knew at 18, Life Lessons for the Road Ahead. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, of course, we're going to keep talking to Dennis, but want to get into some things having to do with handling adversity and college and relationships with other people, and even possibly we might even talk about some money at some point. I'm Armin Brandt, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Uh, What? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, I'm Armand Brott, talking with Dennis Trittine, who's the author of What I Wish I Knew at 18, Life Lessons for the Road Ahead. Now, let's talk about relationships, because there are so many of them that you're going to have over the course of of your youth and your adulthood. And, and not, you know, I think when people hear the word relationship, you think of romantic relationships. And most of the relationships you're going to have in your life have nothing to do with that. That they're they're friendships, or they're just again the kind of a, a, a server in a restaurant that you're that you're dealing with. That's a, a, a short term relationship, a very short term relationship. But you talk about the importance of of addressing issues as they come up, because it's so easy. I I notice this over I think my adulthood certainly that people are not in a, in a big hurry, but they're not reluctant to walk away from a relationship when things get a little tough, as opposed to spending a few more minutes or hours or days working on it, figuring out what went wrong or what the problems are. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, and I know when it comes to relationships and, and what I wish I knew at 18, we, we focus a lot of our effort on how do you surround yourself with positive people and positive relationships because it it all starts somewhere and and initially people that you've not met they're simply acquaintances what you want to do is to be able to see whether or not this is an individual that could ultimately be a friend and um, and there is a process there almost an internal vetting process and so what we we share with people is to connect with other people that share your interests and values. And, and by doing that and spending good quality time, um, you will be able to determine over time and through trust whether this is a relationship that, that is, um, is meant to flourish into something simply beyond 
um, an acquaintance. And I think for the typical student who is graduating from high school and going into this pool of strangers in college, um, this is one of their greatest challenges. Uh, it, a lot of students drop out because of loneliness, that separation from their family and friends. And so being a person who can patiently um, take their time to find people who they can really connect with and share those values is critical. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the reasons we focus so much on, yeah. on friendship building when it comes to our book. You know, I, I remember talking to my kids about this as they were getting older. And again, they're, they're in their 20s, the older ones. And one of my daughters was having a, a difficulty with a friend and, and just in the, in the, over the course of this conversation, really discovered together that not every friend is going to be able to be everything to you, or not every person you get involved with is going to be able to be everything and to satisfy all of your needs, that certain relationships might have a limited level of importance to you or might be only good in certain types of situations. I mean, you might have a friend who's great for going out and doing physical activities with. You might have another friend who's great for having deep conversations but is completely useless in other areas. And do you think it's important to have a a little bit of a broader look at what a friend is? Oh, I I agree very much. And one of the the key messages we share in our book is to diversify your life, Um, have a lot of variety to it, Uh, rather than just focusing everything on your schooling or everything on your career to to really have a a richness and variety in life. And and what you find is the more you're focused on that, the more you will surround yourself with people who do exactly what you just described. They they will play a particular role. They'll be a friend. But maybe that friendship tends to be more focused on recreation, whereas another individual, a, a soulmate type of a person, is always there to share your innermost um, um, secrets with, your innermost concerns. There are certain people that you're just naturally going to be more drawn toward in, in that type of a sharing relationship than someone else. And it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. You know, speaking of, of situations that you're going to be in where there are different lessons that you're learning from each one of them or different levels of importance to each one of them, you talk about career and advancement. And this is another long conversation having with my kids at various points about them not wanting to take certain kinds of jobs because they thought it was maybe beneath them or because they didn't think that they'd like it. And my trying to explain to them, and I'm not sure how well the message got through, but that so many wonderful lessons I learned from taking jobs that I hated. I mean, one of the most important ones being, I will never, ever do this again in my life. You know, and and yeah. that's that kind of a lesson. That's one of these things that only comes from experience. And so it's to get the idea, though, to in through a kid's head that it's OK to go out and do something that you end up not liking. You've got plenty of time. You know, what you just described is something I experience all the time as I mentor young people. And I think a lot of people have this notion that as soon as they graduate from college, they're going to get the perfect job. And I describe it as a dartboard. They think they're going to get the bullseye from the get-go. And because maybe that bullseye is not available, um, they find themselves you know, working in a tavern. They're waiting for that to happen. And in this day and age, uh, what, what I talk about is the importance of getting in the game, Um, In today's world, over 80% of jobs that are filled are filled by people who had an insider going to bat for them. 
they have to be proactive in getting into the game. And I just counseled a friend recently who was in that similar mindset. I said, you want to get in the healthcare industry, what you want is not available, but something close, maybe not the bullseye, but maybe it's a ring around that bullseye that will get you into the tent, underneath the tent. Once you're in that game, then what will happen down the road, you do a great job, you are in position A to get that bullseye. Sometimes it takes a few steps before we get the job we really want. And, um, and it just, it's so critical. Uh, and you do learn. Part of self-awareness is learning what, what we are motivated by, what we are excited about, but also what areas we're not. And in, <laughs> unless you go through some of those um, difficulties with jobs you don't like or, or work you don't care for, you're really not going to have that strong of self-awareness. Now, what about situations where you're trying to get lessons across to kids, I mean, different kinds of lessons across to kids, that they're just not, they're not listening, they're not interested? Well, what do you do as a parent who's mm -hmm. in that kind of a situation? You have all this wisdom that you've learned, and it really is good advice, but it's just not happening. You bet. Well, there are... There are a couple of keys that we would, would share, and one of them is, is to try to find those times and places where your kids open up the most. In my case, I tried and tried in, when, as I was driving my son um, to, to school each day. I tried to have deep conversations and never went anywhere. But what I found was that if I take him to a Starbucks <clears throat> and we have a nice just father-son low-key time at at a coffee shop, he opened up, up like a book. So step number one is to figure out where your kids open up the most. And, um, and then step number two is understanding that the more we can come alongside in a coaching style of communication, where maybe our little pointers happen not so much in a, in a directional lecture kind of a way, but just always a matter of fact, or maybe I heard about this situation today I wanted to share with you. So it's not you talking about your son or your daughter, but it's something you heard about that happened with someone else. So they take themselves out of the equation, and, and you're sharing a life wisdom nugget that um, is, is safer for them because it doesn't feel like they're being lectured to. So honestly, a lot of it is the style of the way we communicate um, with our kids. So it's mostly telling a story, telling a parable, essentially, about, hey, look, here's what happened to me, and letting them draw their own conclusions. Yes, and the other thing is it's bringing in other voices, um, other friends of ours who we want our kids to know, who we think would be great role models uh, for our kids, to basically build, we, we call it parenting is a team sport, and, and the more great adult leaders that we can bring into the lives of their kids, they will be able to say things that will stick, whereas if we as parents said the same thing, it's, you know, the look and the, the dismissing. But I cannot tell you the value we have gained as parents with our kids by bringing in other voices and even contacting them saying, you know, would you be open to, to contacting uh, Michael or Lauren um, and talk a little bit about this particular subject if it if it happens, um, because they're, they're really struggling with something. And if they're trusted friends, they can be an invaluable asset to us as parents. 
Dennis Tratine is the author of What I Wish I Knew at 18, Life Lessons for the Road Ahead. Dennis, thanks so much. You bet. It's been great being with you, um, Armin. Take care. It's Practical Poly Radio. I've switched to cooking with healthier oils. So now what do I do with all these tubs of lard? Skinny jeans feeling too tight? A bit of lard on your hips and thighs and those pants slide on like a dream. So there's no need for that lard to go to waste. But get your best heart-healthy trade-up with healthier oils, like canola, olive, or other vegetable oils, which can actually lower your chances for heart disease. Learn more at heart.org slash face the fats. Canola Info is the national supporter of the American Heart Association's Face the Fats campaign. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. You know that building things, whether it's a 3D puzzle, a metal replica of a pirate ship, a mini model of the Millennium Falcon, or a tower out of plain old wooden blocks, is one of the best ways to spend time with your children. But half of the fun of building something is knocking it down. Here are some of our new favorites to build and smash, plus a few others. Build or Boom from Proto Toys. Like a lot of games these days, this one starts with a card. In this case, it's a two-sided one that has a picture of a structure that both players race to build. Now, what makes Build to Boom so much fun, though, is that you do your building on special platforms that are connected to a simple pump that looks like a pile of dynamite. Hit the dynamite, and the tower falls. As you can guess, your opponent can blow up your tower, and you can blow up his or hers. The game is a blast and comes with 30 cards divided into three levels of difficulty. But for younger children, it has the added advantage of being a great way to learn about shapes, patterns, and following directions. It's for two players. Ages four and up costs about $29.95. Kaboom from Blue Orange. Like Build or Boom, Kaboom starts with cards and involves building, blocks, and smashing. But the approach is very different. In this enervating game, it's enervating in a good way, one player tries to build as many towers as possible, using cards as models, within 30 seconds. Now that would be plenty of fun by itself, but while the builder is frantically building, the rest of the players are gleefully trying to knock over those towers using ammunition-launching catapults. If any of the towers remain standing after time expires, the builder keeps the associated card. In the next round, there's a new builder. Whoever has the most cards wins unless someone is able to build the Mega Tower, which is an automatic winner. For two to five players, ages six and up, costs about 16 bucks. Bricks from Blue Orange. Think tic-tac-toe, but add a dollop of color, a hint of sneakiness, and a few drops of inadvertent self-sabotage. You and your opponent are combining to build a wall of X's and O's. The first player to line up four of their symbol or four of their color, or both, depending on how complicated you want to make it, wins. The magic of bricks is the blocks themselves. Each orange X is attached to a blue O and vice versa. That means that when you place your piece on that oh-so-brilliant location, you're also putting your opponent's piece right next to it. The rules and gameplay are easy, but the strategy is really challenging. It's for two to seven players ages seven up, costs under $20. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Remote Control Skateboarding Mikey. In keeping with our theme of smashing and rebuilding, the best part about Skateboarding Mikey is making him wipe out and then watching him get up all by himself so you can do the whole thing over and over again. 
It's for ages four and up, about 50 bucks at Amazon and other retailers. Why Flyer Stepper Scooter from Yvolution? With this scooter's sleek design and cool-looking foot pedals, your child is definitely going to turn some heads and work up a sweat at the same time. If he or she wipes out, there's no self-riding mechanism, which is why riders should always wear a helmet and other safety gear, and an adult should always be there to supervise. But it's a ton of fun to ride. And with its 220-pound weight limit, you can take it for a spin after the kids go to bed. For ages 7 and up, it costs about $150. You can find reviews of many, many other toys and games that are great to do with your family at our website, parentsatplay.com. You can also drop us a line through that website if you've got a suggestion for us. We'll be back next week with another segment for you. But don't go yet. There's plenty more positive parenting coming right up. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Music is a bridge between the material and the spiritual. My name is Harvey Lauer, and I'm 82. As a blind person, you have to be aware that nobody can tell you what you can or can't do. You really have to try things. My folks got me a little radio in 1940, and that was the best Christmas present I ever got. When I was 11 years old is when I started to uh, play music, play the piano, and then the accordion, and then the cello. My wife, who was also blind, was a good cook. When she died, that's when I started Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brat from the MrDad.com radio network. Hey there, welcome back to the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brat. We worry that putting our family first means we'll be forced to abandon our careers. We're afraid if we pause our careers, we'll be forever off track. This kind of thinking is really outdated and doesn't reflect the truth of the careers of some of the most successful women in this country. After the birth of her second child, author and advertising executive Lisa Stromberg, who's going to be today's guest, did something she never imagined she would do. She opted out to focus on her family. But her career didn't end there. Lisa paused and then pivoted to become a social entrepreneur and then an award-winning journalist writing about women, work, and life in Silicon Valley. Along the way, Lisa met many highly successful women who had never opted out but who had temporarily downshifted or paused their careers. Well, according to her, what worked for them can work for you, too. In this part of today's show, as I mentioned, Leeson's going to be our guest, and she's going to be talking to us about how trailblazing women have disrupted the traditional career paradigm and how you can do it, too. And she does that by gathering information from her own experiences, of course, but also from social science research and plenty of interviews she did with, with women. The point of it is, it's time to lead the life that you want, the one in which you can build a career and a family and ultimately 
your own version of a life well-lived. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes, and you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio, you're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. <laughs> they can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. My guest for this part of today's show is Lisa Stromberg, who's the author of Work, Pause, Thrive, How to Pause for Parenthood Without Killing Your Career. Lisa, thanks for joining us. Armin, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So Work, Pause, Thrive kind of echoes the other three word Eat, pray, thing. love, whatever you want. Right. That, well, that was one of them. <laughs> and I, I just, <laughs> just, just a second ago, we were talking about gendered things, watching football games or whatever, and I was thinking, eat, pray, love. I couldn't come up with those words because I think that's a book that was aimed at women for right. the most part. It's like, it just didn't cross Didn't resonate for you. Same with Fifty Shades of Grey. Just that didn't resonate I for me either, don't, <laughs> to be very don't frank. I just can't say that I care one way or the other. <laughs> exactly. But I do care about what you're writing about here, Pause, Work, Pause, Thrive. Yeah. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about your your situation because sure. you were kind of on this high powered yeah, I was on working track. for right. for a high powered ad agency and you're going places and then all of a sudden you decide yeah. eh. well not really quite eh. um yeah my career was on fire i was loving it i had a great job i was a s vice president of an advertising agency really um just rocking it i was also my specific experience was i was on a plane flying to chicago we had just landed a great big client i had just been promoted to vice president and i went into labor on the plane uh, oh that's <laughs> nice. it was not fun i was only 24 weeks pregnant so you can imagine how scary that was that was however not my first rodeo with preterm labor my firstborn this is my I, this was when i was pregnant my second child my firstborn actually was born at 34 weeks again a really troubled pregnancy he's fine now but it was pretty life-changing Point being, by that second time around, I had I spent four months on bed rest and spent a lot of time really thinking about my values, what I wanted. Well, now, so what they, I they wanted, were able to stop the labor. They luckily were. Okay, thank I mean, you. I thank, just was thank you for be worrying asking. about that. Yes, they okay. were, um, and I was able to go on to bed rest and spent four months on bed rest. No fun for anybody. Um, and then, and that time really gave me a chance to ponder what is it that I wanted out of life. And what I realized is, yes, I want a really rocking career. I totally wanted to do as I'd put lots of money and time and effort into my career. Yeah. But I also wanted to be able to have a successful family life. I wanted to be an engaged mother. And when I looked around me, I just didn't see any options. I also was in a workplace that was a 24-7 environment. It was a hard-charging career. It had a team under me. I had a lot of responsibilities. I wanted to work part-time and on-ramp a little slowly after that kind of tough experience. There were no options for flexibility. And so I became something I never imagined I'd become, which is an opt-out mom. Now, let me be clear. I was not an opt-out mom for very long. But, of course, <laughs> the narrative we have around opt-out moms is pretty not very uh, kind, shall we say. And so, you know, I zigged and zagged and ultimately worked my way into a 
career as a journalist, and in many of the cases I was interviewing these incredibly high-powered women who, in fact, hidden in their resumes, were like me, a couple of years off, they had paused for a period of time, or they had downshifted to work part-time, but they were pretty quiet about it. And I thought, someone needs to tell these stories. So, so it's, it's, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is you can't have it all, or you can, but not at the same time. Sure. I mean, we all know that, right? I mean, well, first of all, we, we, also, we, we know that, but people keep talking about it all why? the time. It's like, can Isn't you have crazy? it all? And I mean, the opt-out thing, yeah. it's, it's yeah. weird. Yeah, well, I, don't, I, I have no judgment here. I think we all have great <laughs> dreams for the world and our life. Yeah. Um, but I, in my experience and in the 1,500 people I surveyed, women I surveyed, and 186 I interviewed for the book, the message was you can have a life you want if you construct it the way that works for you. And that means your all might happen over the course of your lifetime, but not, might not happen at any given moment. And that's a great way of looking at it, right? It's like balance. Who thinks about work-life balance? It's pitting life and work against each right. other. Forget that. Let's talk about integration. Take the long view. You're going to have a long career. You're going to be a parent for a long, long time. Yeah. So uh, now the work-life balancing, I mean, I talk about that every once in a yeah. while in my books and when I'm speaking someplace. And it's like, you have to say, look, it's not a seesaw. Yeah. It, it's because that's the image you get. You think balance, okay, right. it's got to be the scales right. of justice or whatever, right. and but it's not. It's, it's like not. a little here, a little there. And exactly. It, it's balanced today at 4 Maybe. o'clock, but <laughs> right. you know, at 4.30, it's not going to be anymore. Yeah, I think we have to yeah. sort of take, our, take the pressure off and give ourselves a little bit of permission to say, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm doing the best I can, and it's okay, and over the course of my lifetime, I'll be able to achieve my goals and dreams if I'm smart and strategic and working at it. And those dreams will include a great career and a great family. So how does this fit in a little bit with the, the oh, there's kind of this movement a little bit towards good enough mothering or good enough parenting. And there mm. was a guest we had on a couple of weeks ago uh, was a, a television journalist who was writing about essentially why, why putting your kids first is the last thing you should do was the subtitle of her book. I mean, it sounds like you're you're talking about some similar things is you got to pay attention to what's good for you and that that's going to help you achieve your goals well you know good enough is a value judgment and i, I sort it of sounds st- low yeah and also i just try and stay off of that no one can define what's good enough for anyone but themselves one of the things i was so impressed by was of the 186 women i surveyed the 1500 more i or the 186 women i interviewed and the 1500 more i surveyed the message that came back again and again was that their value systems were driven internally they weren't looking for external standards good enough might be someone else's external standard you have to define it for yourself and right now you know mike today my career's rocking my kids are <laughs> you know launching it's all good if you had said to me 15 years ago when I was in the thick of it that this is where I'd be, I would have been, no way. But, you know, take a long view and you find you can get that stuff. So what were the types of women you were talking to? So we had, what I wanted to do was focus on college-educated women who are mothers. And I did that because my question was, if these women are challenged by the workplace, if these women are challenged by the lack of public policies we have, imagine how hard it is for under-resourced women. So I want to understand what these women, my peer set, what we're facing and why is it so challenging? And what what choices are we making given these constraints? So here's an example. Um, Patricia Nakach, who is a very senior, very well-regarded venture capitalist here in Silicon Valley, if you actually tracked Patricia's career, she downshifted for about four years, worked part-time, and then actually paused for a period of time. 
And she did it while working at her venture capital firm. They fully supported her. She's now re-engaged. She has one of their top performers. She's one of the few fin- venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. That's kind of the top end of what we saw. But we also saw women who were middle class, still making it happen for themselves, working their way through. So it was really inspiring to see all these stories and hear these women just be incredibly resilient and overcoming and debunking the mm-hmm. myth that, that pausing is going to kill your career. Well, let's look at it from the perspective of dads for just a sec, because I hear this a lot from guys, you know, particularly with the economy being as miserable as it is and has been for quite a while. you got a lot more guys are the stay-at-home dads mm-hmm. because the mom didn't lose their job. The men are, for whatever reason, it was more of a man session than a, than a straight-across, you know, gender-neutral kind of a thing. But these guys are saying that they are so afraid that being out of the workplace for a year or two years is going to kill their jobs, mm-hmm. particularly anybody in tech, because if you're out of tech for a year, the whole world has changed. And it, it's it's got to be harder for women who already have the additional pressure of they're supposed to be the, the parent anyway. Well, actually, how did, yeah. W- how did they deal with this? Well, so let's, I want to sort of, I want to do a lot of talking about dads because I okay. think this is such a rich conversation and so important right now. Um, let's talk about stay-at-home dads first. How, what a shame it is that we have a workplace structure that actually forces one parent to be home. Wouldn't it be great for our economy, ourselves, and everybody that we actually could both be engaged? In many cases, the stay-at-home dads I interviewed found themselves in that role because their spouse, their partner, their wife typically, had this rocking career that was totally hard-charging, and they had to pull out. They didn't have an option to, to stay home. So this just tells me whether the, whatever the gender is that, we've got, that we have a workplace that forces someone home, this is a problem. Imagine then if you're a stay-at-home dad, you're debunking and challenging all of, or you're kind of up, up, sorry, you're doing this upheaval around gendered norms. That's a real challenge for men. Yeah. But on the flip side, you know what? These guys are rocking it. I interviewed Bill Romans, and he and his wife, Sue Barcinnaman, they have a great relationship. They sort of spiraled their career for a while, and then he became the stay-at-home dad, and he's rocking it. She's doing well. And he finds it frustrating that the moms and the teachers and our whole world expects the mom to be the stay-at-home parent. You know, we got to give some room for that. Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, first of all, I've talked to many, many stay-at-home dads. Never have I met anybody who wouldn't want to do it, mm. uh, who, who regretted the decision, and also have never met anybody who didn't have questions thrown at them. Are you babysitting or mm. where's the mom? I used to get that all the time as a single dad, taking my daughters to go bra shopping. I mean, it's the kind of thing that just you, <laughs> you, you live for. It's, isn't but that a shame? Like, what, what, what am why, I supposed to Why do, do we devalue? You know, here's my take on it. We, ve- we devalue dads as caregivers, and we devalue moms as, you know, engaged workers. What's that about? What gender norms are around, going on around there? But I also want to talk about millennial dads. Wait, hang on to that thought for just one second. I'm talking with Lisa Stromberg, who's the author of Work, Pause, Thrive. How to Pause for Parenthood Without Killing Your Career. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to keep talking with uh, with Lisa about millennial dads she wants to get into, but also a little bit more about moms, actually quite a lot more about moms. I'm Armin Brant, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up, just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. 
Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Leeson Stromberg, who is the author of Work, Pause, Thrive, How to Pause for Parenthood Without Killing Your Career. So I, I want to find out a little bit more about some of the details mm-hmm. of how these women were able to do the kinds of things. You talked about the woman who's a venture capitalist. Obviously, she's at the top of her field. She can throw some weight around and say, this is what I'm doing. What do you do with a woman who is not at the top of the food chain and is going to be struggling with with more significant issues. Well, so let's let's talk about that at length because here's the reality. We have a culture that values 24/7 work. We have an environment where we need two career couples to actually support the family. So we're seeing a huge increase in stress as we all know. What we're also seeing, which is sort of heartbreaking, is a lot of millennials are now graduating with tons of school debt, oh, yeah. and they actually can't afford both school debt and child care because child care is so expensive. So we're seeing this huge rise of stay-at-home moms for the first time in 20 years because they can't afford things that are going on, and that's just heartbreaking. So there's this yeah. sort of this forced environment that they don't want to be in. My, what I heard and what I saw from the one I interviewed is there were sort of three key paths that they went on. There was the what I called the cruisers, the women who actually stayed somewhat engaged in their careers. They worked part-time. They consulted. They were really engaged completely. I mean, not completely, but they were kind of balancing the two of it. There was, if you will, <laughs> um, there were the boomerangs. These are women who completely left the paid workforce, paused for a couple of years, and then re-entered back to their same industry, typically same kind mm-hmm. of profession, if you will. If they went, came from marketing, went to marketing, so on. And then we had people who were pivoters, people who used that period of time, that pause, to really evaluate what they wanted out of their career and completely shifted career. So, for example, I interviewed Marianne Perrin out of North Carolina. She was a finance director, head of operations for a couple of startups, was doing incredibly well. Her career was on fire, decided to pause, did some shifts and turns, but eventually decided what she really wanted was to become a PhD. And she's just finished her PhD in nutritional science at 48 years old, and she's rocking it. And she said to me, you know, you never are too old to actually reinvent your life. Well, here you are. It's very inspiring. Yeah. And so how do you tell women, I mean, if you're going to be telling women about this, because I'm sure you get, a lot of people are going to be asking you, and I'm going to get a bunch of people are going to be asking me to pass questions on you. <laughs> but what, what are the strategies that you can implement in your workplace? So let's start there. I mean, because first of all, I guess the discussions need to be happening at home mm. about what would look good, how we can manage to do this, who's going to take off, all that stuff. But once you get that done, you got to take it to the workplace. Mm. How do you address this? How do you open the conversation of, I want to take a break for a while? Mm. So here's that was so inspiring by the women who had done this. They were very clear about their career plans. They went to their employer and said, 
I, if they, let's say they wanted to be a cruiser and work part-time, they were very clear, this is what I've contributed to you. This is what I want to accomplish. I want to pause or downshift for this period of time. They were very clear in a period of time. This is what I promised to deliver. Here's what I would like to work with you. And what they found is if they didn't get what they wanted from their employer, they found a new job and negotiated <laughs> it. They were willing to move. They were very empowered about what was true for them and what was right. They were very self-directed. The other thing we're finding is employers are starting to figure out that they need to offer this. Look, millennials, 64 million millennials are about to become parents. And what do we know about millennials? They value time over money, and they value relationships, family, over kind of lockstep career success, which is not to say they're not devoted and ambitious, but they really have a but wider sense of They're willing to walk. Much they're willing to walk. Than, than if we the work. workplace doesn't deliver it. So smart companies, forward-thinking companies are beginning to realize this isn't a women's issue. This is a business issue. And they're making solutions around that. There's a huge rise in something called returnships or return-to-work internships. We're seeing it here in Silicon Valley. About 15 companies now are offering it to their employees more and more, where if you take time out of the, your career and you want to re-engage, they'll offer you a three-month internship to actually get your – it's paid – and get your skills up to speed. And then most of the time, they'll place you in a full-time job. And we're seeing that more and more. And it's not just women who are doing it. Men are taking these – Wait, those are agencies that are doing that? No, these are companies. PayPal, Coursera, a whole bunch of them locally are doing this. It's really exciting. So how would you even approach that? Meaning the employer? Well, yeah, I mean, so how, if, say that you just heard this and said, well, I want to check into PayPal and see about a, a returnship. Do you yeah. ask for that specifically? Yeah, or? sure. They actually have them. There's a wonderful nonprofit called Path Forward based out of New York. They are focusing on returnships specifically in the tech industry. There's another company called iRelaunch, and they're working across a numerous industries to help companies create returnships. If you're in the financial services industry, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, they all have them. I interviewed one woman, Andrea Chermayev. She was out for 15 years, participated in a three-month internship with J.P. Morgan, and now she's a vice president there. And I asked her, okay, Andrea, how is that reentry? Do people know? What's the feeling? She goes, no one knows I was gone that whole time. It's what can I do for them today, and that's what matters. So how do you restructure a resume for this? Because I know that's one of the big issues is you've got these gaps Right. And, and there's a lot of talk. I, I, I do a lot of work with military families and, and talk to women about how they can deal with the difficulties of being a military spouse and having these gaps because you're moving someplace or gaps because you're, you're, you used to be high-powered at something, but now you're really kind of at the, at the mercy of a husband's career. And what do you do with a resume that's well, there's, got holes in it? There's two responses I'd like to give that. Look, if we look at what's happening right now, we're moving towards a gig economy, and resumes are becoming gig resumes. People understand that we have these transitions and this is what happens. So there's a little bit more awareness around the country about the fact that we have this gig worker reality. The second thing is don't hide it. What I learned from the women I interviewed for Work Pause Thrive and what I also have seen, and there's tons of research, Joni Hirsch out of Vanderbilt has done some great research on do employers really want to know your truth? And the answer is, you bring your authentic truth and say, hey, I did it for this period of time. This is what I learned. This is why I did it. And here I am. One of the women I interviewed for the book, Joanna Palmick, well, Palmick, one of the women. <laughs> we'll just call her Joanna. Yeah. yeah. One of the women I interviewed for the book, Joanna, she actually right now is a leader at LinkedIn. She took, to, she was at Microsoft, took two years off to be with her kids. And when she was interviewing, she wanted to tell them, hey, this is what I did. This is why I did it. She didn't hide a thing. They did not care. Her experiences with employers don't care. They just want great talent. All right. You're still talking about a lot of high-powered people, though. 
And so we're on in a number of stations that are in more middle America sure. and places where, you know, there's Silicon Valley and Morgan Stanley are, are, You're absolutely are right. far away. Right. So, so what do you do with, with women who are, you know, working, uh, I don't know, I, I don't want to sound horrible, you know, as secretaries or, oh. or middle manager or, or more towards the entry level, somebody who doesn't have... All that experience. This way. Well, so let's start with there's no question that you have to build your foundation before you even can consider a pause if that's something you, is right for you and your family. That came through again and again, whatever your situation in life. But I interviewed a number of women who would, we cons- who would consider quote-unquote middle class. Um, and what they found was that the technology has changed so much that they were able to be remote workers. I interviewed a number of women who were virtual assistants, and they were able to integrate their work and their family because they actually had the technology. We have it now to be able to do remote, remote working. Yeah. So we're seeing more and more awareness that this is reality and that we can create jobs that are structured around our family life because we have the technological capabilities to do that. One example, Jennifer Mazzella. I, you know, she told me I'm solidly middle class. You know, she's a fantastic woman. She actually didn't, never planned to pause her career and ultimately did. She had a son who ended up having strong um, special needs. She is totally rocking it. She relaunched to become a special needs sort of expert. And she, she says she's now the Tony Robbins of special needs. <laughs> she travels the country talking about this. And she would tell you her pause totally spearheaded her career and brought her into a place she never thought she would be. That was what was so inspiring. So yes, it's harder to when you have financial constraints. You have to be really smart about your choices. There are huge financial implications by making that choice. I devote a whole chapter to the book called Money Matters, Plan Accordingly. The point being, but I don't think now in this day and age that we need to be so devoted to that lockstep career structure mm-hmm. that we can still achieve what we want if we're smart, strategic, if we actually navigate intelligently. And actually, we're now finally having workers, I mean, sorry, having employers that understand how important this is. How important it is, do you think, for the, the woman or the man for that example, you know, for, for that purpose, is to for really prepare yourself in your career? beforehand i mean to make yourself so you're you're essentially invaluable that you can then go in and say without maybe even having to say the words but you need me so be flexible i think it's it's absolutely paramount to expect that you're going to get something without having built your foundation i think is a flawed model what i found was that those people who had built their foundation by having a great career by contributing to their companies by building a network beyond their companies that allowed them the freedom to actually dis- consider downshifting or pausing their careers okay last thing give us one one thing that somebody needs to do if they're considering doing this careers are long <laughs> Decide that what you're going to do for the course of your lifetime. Understand that you always are going to have a career, whether you're in the paid workforce or not. Hopefully, you don't have to leave the, leave the paid workforce if it doesn't make sense for you. But if you do, be smart and strategic and read my book, Work Positive Parenting <laughs> Without Killing Your Career. All right, then. Lisa Stromberg is the author of that book, exactly. Work, <laughs> Pause, Thrive, How to Pause for Parenthood Without Killing Your Career. Great to have you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.